With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Comics like a clown, no doses, all pages. Bagging, boarding Batman in the gutter like a mason. Storytellers, we some fellas, we some felons. is amazing. Acapella, Vericella, cause this shit is so contagious. Mouse on the summaries, compiling out the show. While the cycle spitting knowledge on the Yeti like a pro. Beat the babble, we the rabble, don't step to the squad. We get active, and haters like a cephalopod. You don't like fish talk? Do you hate a tomato? We the cuttlefish killers, tentacles on the table. Greatest five stars if you cherish your life. Bucky Barnes hit squad spraying lead in your pipe. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Is This Just Bad? Is This Just Bad? The best podcast you never heard of. I'm your host, Professor Mouse, joined as always by the CB Cosmologist himself, Preparation H. Oh, oh dear. Isn't, I, despite having never really watched the Austin Powers movie, that's the first reference, reference that always comes to mind when I hear Preparation H. Wait. Um, would not be confused with <laughs> Department H. <laughs> Which I think is like a Marvel Comics thing. Hold on. There's a lot to unpack based on what you said. So you... you, <laughs> you first, you've never seen Austin Powers, yet the joke that you... Yeah, I feel like I've seen clips of Austin Powers. I don't know that I've seen an entire Austin Powers movie the whole way through ever. I was going to... But for whatever reason, I feel like they were on in the background a lot. I mean, even... On like even sci-fi? even if you went to the movies opening day and were first in line to watch Austin Powers and paid attention the whole time, your experience was that it was on in the background. Like those <laughs> <laughs> movies have very little impression. But I was like, that's an obscure joke to the point where I saw all three Austin Powers movies and I saw... I think gold member, the third one multiple times. Cause my dad liked it. And, uh, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Those are not the, that's not a famous goof from the movies. It's not a famous no. goof. I remember like Dr. Evil's talking about a bunch of evil plans. Right. And they <laughs> yeah, go as, through like as he letters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then like, they get to like prepar like preparation H is one of the preparations they're making for like world domination or something. Yeah. I think that that sounds familiar. I like that. You just sort of distilled the essence of the comedy <laughs> in an actual sort of lucid discussion. Dr. Evil makes a bunch of evil plans. <laughs> like you, you see what we did. You think that's how they did that when they were like in the writer's room for these movies? Like what if he's making plans? Like what do we call the plans? Well, what if we did like letters and then we get to the funny letter? Well, but cause it's about butts. But it truly is for movies like that. It's just a distillation of James Bond where you sort of mm -hmm. like go through and in a very general sense, describe what happens in those films and you like it, it just becomes comedic because of how silly it is. <laughs> and yeah, and those are those have got to be both like a joy to write and very simple because you have, I mean, it, it was kind of like you know on 
depending on how long you've been listening to this show, we used to do bits. Right. <laughs> um, those might return at some point. Maybe no, not. We never. We don't not. know. <laughs> but um, they, the preparation, if you will, for those was let's take a song or a comic book that we were just reading back when we were doing that and then distill that down into comedy. And at one level, it's very easy because you just kind of go beat by beat and then anytime there's drama, you replace the dramatic beat with a comedic beat or a goofy joke. Yeah, I mean, it, it just and, mad libs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And that's, a, that, that's the best way to think about it. It's mad libs. You just, you, it's the funny, the, the piece that's hard is finding which word to replace because the blanks aren't necessarily filled in for you. Yeah. So like, what's the optimal funny bit to switch out? Yeah, what's hard about... Um... What's hard about a movie is structure, and because those spoofs, but this also you get into like a dangerous sort of territory here because they made like seven scary movies, um, mm-hmm. and it was it was such that it was very easy to 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 structure a film using a formula that had been developed, like the horror movie or like James Bond in the case of Austin Powers, but. Then you have to put funny jokes within that framework, and that's where you <laughs> really test it, uh, because that I think was the case in the first. I, maybe just the first scary movie was the only one that was funny, and then subsequently it was like <laughs> the jokes just became uh, bad and just had like hackneyed. Um, but they ended up doing a bunch of different, like, do you remember they made a spoof version, like a scary movie version of 300? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meet the Spartans. Yeah. And my dad was telling me about like a superhero one recently that has Shawn Michaels in it as Yoda somehow. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if interesting is the right word. It's a thing that happened. Right. Oh, wait. Speaking uh, of, this is a wild, like, crazy thing that happened. Um, I, I sized it. This was a thing that happened. Let me <laughs> tem- <laughs> temper expectations. So... Uh, my wife and I were uh, looking. We were looking for good horror movies to watch because uh, we mm-hmm. went on like, something of a dry spell with horror movies. Like we, we were doing like uh, in October a bunch of scary movies, and we kept like not uh, <laughs> like finding bad ones <laughs> that mm-hmm. it, that were like it became increasingly frustrating. So to foreground. I'm going to get to what the interesting thing is, which is not interesting, mind you. Uh, the foreground, some of the movies... That, You're really selling this I, No, well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to keep building it up. So uh, wh- <laughs> one of the movies that we watched in this like sort of run of scary movies was uh, Jacob's Ladder, which... Did we talk about that on here? Because I feel like I've told... No. I've told multiple people about our disappointment with Jacob's is Ladder. Is this a Stephen King thing? <sighs> That's a good question. I don't know. Uh, so Jacob's Ladder, apparently, or a Jacob's Ladder is an artistic convention. Um, it's like a like a foldable. It's like a a ladder, obviously, but it like unfolds in in segments. So it's like you hold like a fire escape. Kind. Of. I don't know what you're imagining when you say fire escape, but yeah, it like 
Un- <laughs> a magical ladder that folds and you like pops down. No, it's not. It's not like that. It doesn't pop straight down. It's like a bunch of imagine a bunch of uh, squares stacked together, and then Im- imagine mm-hmm. you're holding the the squares, and then you l- sort of let go and just hold them to the last square, and they unfurl down. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. That's a Jacob's ladder. Um, so it's also, so it's an artistic convention because I was telling one of my friends about this, who is an artist and she was saying like, oh yeah, we, uh, that was like a fad in the artistic community. People were making Jacob's ladders constantly. And I was like, it was also a movie and like a, and like a, a narrative convention. And she was like, well, <laughs> what's that? Do you know what a Jacob's ladder is in, in film? No, I don't know. I don't know the narrative. No. Tell so me. the, so Jacob's Ladder was a film that sort of presaged all of those like bad, it was all a dream films because that's the Jacob's Ladder convention. In Jake oh. in Jacob's Ladder, it's Tim Robbins is a, uh, uh, a soldier in Vietnam. And you open, he's a soldier in Vietnam and there's like some crazy shit that happens and uh, it seems like they're all like sort of getting attacked. And, and spoilers, but obviously this movie came out 30 years ago. So they're all like getting uh, attacked and it sort of cuts and he wakes up and he's on a subway. Um, The convention is that the next hour and 40 minutes of the movie don't actually happen. They happen, but they only happen Mm. in his mind. So he dies or he gets fatally wounded in the attack in the first five minutes. And at the end of the film, he dies. And the convention is that you're you're telling a story, but everything that's happening in the story is a projection or a dream or something that's happening in the character's subconscious, but all the actual action of the movie can be boiled down to like 15 minutes, Um, which you see executed pretty well in Jacob's Ladder, but then like terribly in a million other movies that came afterwards. So that was like the first one we watched. The second one we... And that's supposed to be a horror movie? It is. It's kind of scary. Um, it's it, it, yeah. It's like horror. It, it's a weird movie since it's one of those like, jo- like experiment experimental films. They categorize it as horror sci-fi. So the movie itself is fine, but the reason that we were like fuck this movie is because it wasn't scary. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the movie that then that we watched after that, we're like, well, let's get an absolute W here. Um, we watched the Bradley Cooper film, The Midnight Meat Train. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and you hear that and you're like, well, this is a porn, right? <laughs> uh, it's, you know, kind of. So <laughs> the it stars Bradley Cooper and Vinnie Jones. Vinnie Jones, famous for the British heavy in all those Guy uh, Ritchie movies. Um, yes. Yeah, he's like a, he's like a, he's, I think he shows up in Arrow also as a, as a villain at some point. He's just like randomly bulletproof somehow. Oh, definitely. He looks like in real life he's probably bulletproof. Uh, <laughs> so this is, this movie is a, it's a Clive Barker, based on a Clive Barker story. Clive Barker famous for mm-hmm. Hellraiser and creating the Cenobites, which are gross, and uh, Candyman, which, yeah. You, you tell me Midnight Meat Train. I go, yep, sounds like a Clive Barker story. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so we... I, Candyman's having this sort of resurgence now because um, partially because it has a um, a black 
lead yeah. antagonist yeah title character i guess and and that guy um jeez what is his name uh I'll, I'll look it up he's like famous okay he's he's in everything and it's weird because i saw i saw him at conventions a bunch back when that was a thing and only knew him as Candyman. it's like well i don't really you know care for him because he freaks me out <laughs> but in fact um he's in star trek and he does the voice of dark side a bunch in recent cartoons um and he's like a big deal yeah his name is tony todd uh, there we go tony todd tony todd's awesome and um, um he's got like a real dark side voice he's very he's very neat he's one of the, in the one of the best uh, deep space nine episodes of all time anyway so clive barker enduring horror legacy but also a legacy of goofy t- names like midnight meat train <laughs> so tell me about this movie yeah so well i mean and it, and it is relevant to because so, we had seen hellraiser and we'd seen Candyman, so we're like well which way is it gonna go because in in mm. hellraiser it's fucking disgusting it's everything is disgusting and gross Candyman is like uh, slasher horror there's a there's a gross hook. He famously has a gross hook for a hand, but it mm-hmm. it's not like Hellraiser where the Cenobites are like pulsing, just like disgusting, fleshy, bloody messes. Um, and then obviously Pinhead, who has a bunch of pins in his head. So we, you know, we, we, we start watching the movie and it's not gross. It's kind of, I think it's going to be kind of like Candyman to the point where, um, well, because they use a lot of the imagery from Candyman, so Vinnie Jones uses a hook. Uh, it's a it, huh. it's a meat hook, though, um, obviously, because Midnight Meat Train. And so the conceit of this film, if I even understood it, because the other thing that infuriated us was how confusing, needlessly, the film is, is that <laughs> there are... That there is a God, I am thinking of the words I'm about to say, and I just, I just want to absolutely kill myself. So there's a underworld that is uh, full of demons, monsters, ghouls, if you will, and okay. <laughs> these demons, these ghouls, uh, are 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 able to embody. Some of them are able to embody humans they're able to take over human bodies um and it possess them it possess them yeah but and as they do it their bodies start to desiccate and things like that and the demon starts to emerge so when we meet vinnie jones he's like kind of on his way to uh he has like all these like boils and shit on his body and he collects them he like pulls his boils out and puts them in a jar and puts them in his medicine cabinet it's fucking disgusting so Okay. Vinnie Jones uh, is uh, murdering people on the subway. We don't know this whole like underworld demon bullshit at the beginning. We just think Vinnie Jones is some kind of weird serial killer, which is what Bradley Cooper also thinks. So Bradley Cooper is a photographer whose stated purpose and goal is to capture New York City the way it's never been captured before. Mind you, he's a photographer in 2010. New York City has been photographed. <laughs> Of all cities, the best by the best photographers in the history of the world. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Philadelphia, um, which also has a very great history of photography. Uh, so he's uh, that's his like stated goal and purpose is to get in galleries and shit. And so 
weirdly the way that he thinks like the representation that's best of Philadelphia is a hooked man who murders people on the subway. (laughs) (laughs) So he starts following Vinnie Jones around and, and he's like taking photos of him and shit. And he like becomes obsessed and it starts this like private detective thing where he like follows him to work. And so Vinnie Jones is like murdering people um, then hanging them up, and they show this in graphic detail, like skinning them, hanging them up by their ankles, and then taking them mm-hmm. to a meatpacking plant in Philadelphia. And uh, that meatpacking pl- plant is like a wormhole between our world and the underworld of ghouls and demons. And the ghouls and demons eat the human meat and then their carcasses are discarded in the underworld. And so the movie is essentially that. That's the setup, is that there is an underworld of ghouls and demons that need human meat, and that every so once, every once in a while, a human is tapped to be the leader of their sector, and their job is to kill people and send them down to the demons in order to stave off a demon overtaking of the world. And it's, So Vinnie Jones is grocery shopping. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's he's an Instacart <laughs> guy, and at the at the end of the movie, uh, Bradley Cooper kills Vinnie Jones, and then is subsequently becomes the uh, Green Lantern of that sector for these fucking demon monsters, and it's the nastiest. I don't think there's a grosser movie that exists in the world. There's up close shots of things I won't even describe being ripped off of people's bodies. That's fucking nasty. And guess what? Not scary. Unless hmm. people, unless I, maybe when, because you're squeamish, right? Do you get scared when you see shit like that? Or you're just like, I don't want to watch this. No, that's the thing is it's not scary. It's just unpleasant. Yeah. I'm just like, this is gross to no purpose. And this is, and, and, and I say this as someone who has just finished watching the first two seasons of Hannibal. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, and that, that's important because Hannibal, which, you know, it's partially a, like, pseudo vampire love story and partially, like, a procedural cannibal serial killer drama. So, there is a lot of. You know, beat bits of people's bodies being torn off and rearranged and turned into art and then turned into food. And in the abstract, that sounds super gross. And in reality, it is pretty gross, but it's also shot and framed in a way that is very artsy. And you know, it's Brian Fuller telling this, like, weird gay love story. And so the actual content matters less than the delivery of the content. Right. I mean, there's a bunch of gross gross mutilation in Game of Thrones also. So what matters is the th- the tone of the product that that mutilation is in. But even when it's in something that, you know, its stated purpose is, oh, ghouls, like nothing about the setup of Midnight Meat Train, including the title, which is ridiculous, <laughs> uh, none of that's scary. It's, it's, uh, it's upsetting, but it's not scary. Yeah, and there's like, because you, I, Clive Barker is also somebody who's very much uh, invested in like, in in creating stories that 
have some kind of contemporary resonance and yeah he's there he's sort of trying to go for morality tales some of the time i've never quite understood what his point is but he definitely always wants to have a point well so for well it, it works so well in Candyman because Candyman is such a sharp story uh, because the 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 villain of the story is actually the protagonist which in horror right. horror movies is hard to pull off like it's hard to make Jason sympathetic or Freddy Krueger sympathetic but in in Candyman he has he's like diagnosing a very kind of specific type of um safari academia where because the 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 quote-unquote protagonist or at least the person that we follow throughout that story is an anthropology graduate student at from the uh, a, a university in chicago chicago famously um it was full of like urban sociologists and anthropologists who created and reproduced literature that was like vehemently and 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 at this point, looking back, cartoonishly racist. Um, and it sort of takes place in the Cabrini Green housing projects. And Candyman is your the entire time you're like, well, he's the bad guy. Well, it's like, no, the, the bad guy is uh, is urban inequality. It's uneven development. It's, it's right. racist. And the idea, right. And the idea of Candyman was these people are studying urban legends, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's. And so they're looking for the monster of Candyman, and the Candyman's like, no, you are the monster. You are systematically racist, and I'm going to hook you to death for it or something. Right, yeah. What you should be doing when you're here at the Cabrini Green Housing Projects is is trying to figure out a way for this to not continue. <laughs> like, why, what are you looking for right. me for? What the fuck does that have to do with me? <laughs> um, <laughs> and, yeah, he only... He, uh, that's awesome. Candyman's dope. Yeah, Candyman is great. And this story, there's something also there about, like, some kind of, like, urban underbelly or, or some kind of desiccation that's happening. There's a lot of, like, looking at, like, this meatpacking factory and this, like, very pointed and weighted sort of like critiques about deindustrialization and the factory and how human beings become sort of raw material and mm-hmm. like all of this shit. But it's like, is there a pattern? Is there any pattern to the victims? That's the thing. It's like, I think it is a, I think it is a sort of, um, because the victims are almost sort of indiscriminately, like they're all different types of people. There is like a we're all torn asunder by this particular, um, uh, by the way that the sort of the city feeds off of us or that capitalism feeds off of us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so the ghouls and the demons become sort of emblematic of that. But it's also they don't it 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 it's weird because in Candyman the. There's there are other characters who are sort of like there's a there's a very young kid who is a character that you see the effects that everything is happening is having on him. And that allows us to sort of understand like, oh, this is about something much larger than this. Than th- this is not just a slasher film in this movie and in, in, in Midnight Meat Train. They're not doing the 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 legwork rather that's trafficking and the disgusting imagery and the grotesque where you're like um they're not really developing the story out as much as i i have to do a lot of work to make these connections for them as opposed to Candyman, where at the end of it you're like 
oh, Candyman is the hero. Right. Yeah, and that's a good point of, like, these these ghouls in Midnight V-Train would need to have, like, Monopoly Man top hats and monocles <laughs> or something. Some kind of signifier. Right. Or, or To be like, oh, these are exploitative capitalist overlords or something. Or, you know, even, I think about um, Cabin in the Woods, where by the end the reveal is, oh, there's a, there's a group of people who are exploiting these these kids because they think they need to do it in order to keep the monsters at bay but like there's a a system in place and that system is broken and, and wrong it actually is um, exactly but, like that i didn't even re- I, did, I forgot that they go underneath in cabin in the woods and eventually sort mm-hmm. of discover all the machinations and 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 shit like that um that's going on and that's happening which then makes me think about Midnight Me Train in a different light. Again, doing a lot of work for them, but there's this sort of like attribution of this sort of like widespread and pandemic crime that's happening and violence and, 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 and this shit. And it's like, there's nothing more violent than a, a sort of systematized feeding off of the people of a city. Like that's the most violent yeah. thing that could happen is the products of capitalism or systemic racism or whatever. And, but the, the surface level understanding is that like, Oh, it's fucking Philly. Just you know, people dying every day. Who gives a shit? It's like, well, no, there's, there's other things in play here that are, are sort of undergirding the system and, and creating these conditions. Um, the metaphor here being ghouls, <laughs> but, right. but the, but again, the story doesn't do enough to be like, that's what this is about. Instead. It's just like Vinnie Jones, pulling off people's toenails and shit yeah well that's a shame because that's like 60 percent of the way to a really good modern parable and it just doesn't quite get there right so we're you know we're we're knee deep in this at, at this point we then watch this se- the sequel to uh train to busan which is called train to busan peninsula um which mm. we have we talked about Train to Busan on this podcast? No, and that's a Korean zombie movie. Yes, it's a Is that right? yeah. So here's what happened. <laughs> uh, uh, Train to Busan came out in 2016, and uh, there's something about uh, Korean cinema that I mean, it's it, it, uh, there were a lot of sort of um, indications that it would build into parasite winning the academy award and train to busan was one of those indications where it was like the artistic scene and the film scene in south korea has been building and they've been like truly uh ruling ass over there with the <laughs> movies that they're producing. Oh, absolutely uh their movies are dope they've always had a really interesting aesthetic i mean it started with your you know, old boy and this, like, really gritty... Yeah, Chan Park Wook, yeah, the godfather. Dra- yeah, drama. But it's got all of that has this, like, really biting social commentary. It's really beautifully shot. They've got a, a interesting juxtaposition between, you know, like, high-class, clean, modern look and then, like, um, your monster influences yeah there's a lot of cool stuff going on there it's interesting that this is also it's not probably not a coincidence that it's in parallel with the global domination of k-pop right like they're just their cultural scene has taken over the global western imagination 
in both their horror movies and their social commentary and their pop music all at once. Yeah, and it has a lot to do with the the, the quality of the product. Like, they, most of the time, with the exception of the review I'm going to give to Peninsula, I watch uh, a South Korean film that's gotten buzz, and I'm like, that's better than like any movie that came out this year like that's in the u.s yeah absolutely uh no i every time i watch one of those i like i need to sit with it for a week like wow that was really affecting and it usually jumps to my top 20 movies i've ever seen right um snowpiercer comes to mind so snowpiercer came out in 2013 and and that movie is incredible and 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 filmically visually and the action uh set design like everything is so good about snowpiercer um and that's bong joon ho's uh, train movie so train to busan mm-hmm. sort of builds on that <laughs> um and it's very interesting that uh a tr- the train becomes sort of a central uh symbolic figure uh for both of these films that became super popular and had these kind of like um international successes uh did you in before you move forward? Did you intend to do a double feature of Midnight Meet Train to Busan? No, well, so <laughs> no, because the second one isn't about a train. So we saw Train to Busan when it came out in 2016. My dad was raving about this fucking movie, and you know sometimes my dad likes everything, and he's not shy about that. Yeah. I think we also kind of like everything to a certain degree. <laughs> Yeah, no, like we're turning into our dads at some point. We're like, I'm always really suspicious of my dad's recommendations because he'll watch anything. Right, exactly. Uh, Which is also us. Increasingly, we're always like, well, if you think about it, I think I just convinced myself that Midnight Meat Train was good, actually. So... (laughs) (laughs) So, So my dad was like raving about this movie, and so we finally sit down to watch it, and it's incredible. Like this, it's a it's a very uh, they 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 do the best thing that you could possibly do, uh, which is they singularize the experience, and so it's like because zombies are always going to like dominate a motion picture unless you do a lot of character development work to get us invested in mm-hmm. the you know something other than the grisly hordes of zombies that are, you know, coming yep. up the street. So they make it about a uh, Korean, uh, obviously Korean, a businessman um, and who is like, like super preoccupied by work um, and whose daughter is, is, is striving and constantly trying to sort of secure his affection or any kind of attention. And he's like, totally fucking just in his own world ignoring her and all this shit and is like very much so part of that uh that kind of aristocracy and that the numbness of the feeling that you get from the uh the rich folks in parasite just like that kind of guy Mm -hmm. um and he has his daughter and and it's like it's a pain and she's a hassle to have around etc 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 and then so they get on this train to Busan and there is a zombie outbreak. And then you see this man who could give a shit about his daughter have to protect her. And it's a very sweet movie. Um, there are a bunch of like great characters who show up. They like develop a little crew. They all the crew. You have like the big brooding, like the giant guy who's like funny and like 
it, it wants to kill all the zombies and you have you know people who have certain skills then they also make everything is practical and so they're working within this set which is a train and it's not like enlarged or bigger they're trying to make it so it's like the claustrophobia of a, of a train what can we do here with choreography with practical effects to make every sort of subsequent set piece really really interesting and it's just amazing awesome. it's amazing um, it's like a fucking triumph of, of filmmaking because you can imagine how difficult it is because if you were actually in a train and zombies attacked, you'd be fucked. <laughs> it's so small. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so it, this, is, this is a great movie. And so they announced that a sequel's coming out. And the sequel just came out, came out during COVID. You think it would do gangbusters. We watched it. This movie is awful. It's so bad. They took all yeah. of the wrong lessons and put them into the sequels. Um, the, one of the great things about the first movie is that it's mostly, if not all, practical effects. Um, in this movie, there is there are a bunch of car chases. The car is CGI. It's, it's, oh, like, no. it's like when you get a budget... Uh, it would be like if John Wick, everything became CGI. Like the reason John Wick works is because it's all weird practical stunt, uh, weird practical yeah. shit that stuntmen, the best in the business, all get together and like, all right, we have to top what we just did. This movie is, uh, they're like, you can imagine that most of it was done in post-production. In addition to that, a lot of the movie is in English but not with huh. American actors, with actors who speak English, who I am not convinced are even actors in any country. Like, because the delivery is so terrible. You're like, okay, they're putting a bunch of English in this movie to appeal to, I think, an American market, but they didn't hire American actors. And to my, like, what I'm seeing right now, it doesn't look like they hired any actors. And so the delivery is <laughs> terrible. And, but, like, truly, really, really bad. There's, like, an entire expository thing where, where they cut to, you know, uh, a, a global broadcast of, like, a CNN or something. And the guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> the guy who's telling the story, I think, is supposed to be American. And he goes, there are zombies everywhere. Some of the zombies are said it to be in Busan. However, there are some that aren't there. Uh, like, like, what is this? Like, he is so awkward. He's speaking as though he's reading off of a screen. Also, I think he's reading off of a teleprompter because his eyeline is wrong. He's not looking at the camera. And, mm-hmm. ev- and then they have the Korean actors force, they force them to speak English as well. And so they're speaking English, like 40 or 50% of the movies in English. And I think it's like the worst impulse is like, we, we, we made this movie for an American, like we made, we, we achieved sort of like crossover success. So let's really, let's yeah. really give it to them. But it's like, no, we all watched no, this and that's when it was wh- in Korean. Yeah. And that's, what's so interesting about crossover success is, you know, the people are already talking about, let's remake Parasite as an American movie or whatever. And you don't need to. If it's a good film, we'll watch it anyway. 
And in fact, a lot of the interest in watching something like that is to get a window into another culture's dealing with an issue that you're familiar with, whether it's classism or zombies. Like, I don't, I could see a million American zombie movies. That's not why I'm interested in Train to Busan. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, the movie is just not even worth watching. We really struggled to get through it. It was one of those, it's one of those movies you start, you find yourself pausing a lot to go do other shit. It's like, uh, is it by the same director? So here's what was weird about it. It's the title is Train to Busan Presents Peninsula. And oh no. Well, so I think that what ha- what they're doing, I'm not entirely sure there's not a ton of information on this is creating like a shared universe because what the it takes place post outbreak um but we do not follow up with any of the characters from the first one and so i think this might be like a rogue one <laughs> of well this this sounds more like cloverfield right where they had like cloverfield presents or things that were meant to be kind of loosely related to cloverfield but were just other stories entirely that got like a Cloverfield brand stamped on them at the last second. Yeah. Like I think that 10 Cloverfield lane was just a movie. And then for, for Mm -hmm. distribution purpose, like a movie about people in a bunker during an alien invasion. And then for like distribution purposes, they were like, well, fucking, it could be the Cloverfield monster. (laughs) Like, uh, right. Exactly. So yeah, it could, it could be that, but I, I'm pretty sure they made it with like, the with train to busan in mind because it's all the same zombies and shit um and they do a lot of legwork with the weird actors the weird english actors to be like uh ex- like busan something i who cares something happened in busan <laughs> uh right it, to be like look it's connected yeah yeah so yeah so we just are just bummer after bummer after bummer and uh, the train to Busan was a, it was a pretty bad one, and so we like we, like we need a we need an absolute W we need a win, and we love Mike Flanagan movies. Mike Flanagan talked about him before. Have recommended his films. He did um, Doctor Sleep, which is the sequel to The Shining. He did Haunting of Hill House, which is based on the Shirley Jackson book. Uh, She's the one. She's the woman who did the lottery, which is also a great story. Um, oh yeah, yeah. She's uh, a fucking master of horror. I think Stephen Stephen King speaks very, very highly of her. Um, so mm-hmm. Mike Flanagan is it, an incredible director of horror. Rarely uh, misses. He also did Hush, which is on Netflix, which is an incredible sort of like home invasion. Uh, type of story where the woman protagonist um is uh deaf and mute and so has a lot of difficulties sort of uh figuring out how to how to how to get out of this home invasion and there's like uh, an incredible sort of like display of problem solving which i am personally a huge fan of so yeah that's cool the 
the movie that we uh, decided to watch to sort of break this spell is hit the movie that made him famous, which is a movie called Oculus, uh, which came out. Oh, yeah. Oculus, which was distributed by WWE Pictures. And that's what I was getting to. And, <laughs> which <laughs> Yeah. And this is what's weird is so there's a um, there's a it's not quite canon, but um, in Oculus, the movie, there's a mention of the evil mirror is been passed down through the Levesque family. Right. Yeah. And Paul Levesque is a name for Triple H. What's funny about that is um, that in NXT for a while, back when it was, you know, really a homegrown product and hadn't ex- become like the full-fledged third brand, um, they it was around the time Oculus came out and there were a bunch of instances of characters turning heel after having dramatic stare-downs into a mirror. And the running joke among fans was that the Oculus Mirror had made its way to NXT and was turning people heel. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, which is awesome. Yeah, so, but imagine imagine where my head's at. So I just got three L's in a row. I'm like, I need a... And you're going to be like, I'm going to watch... You know, like, at least you didn't pick like See No Evil starring Kane or some shit. Right. I was like, oh, we fucked up. Because as soon as I saw the WWE <laughs> symbol, I was like, this is going to be a true stinker. Uh, spoiler alert, it's great. So oh. he, and, and this is the same thing he does in Hush, is that he creates a, a sort of a contrived scenario where it's like, in in the case of Hush, it's a, it's a woman who, she can't speak, um, who is, so she can't scream. Uh, accosted by a man in a mask and tormented. And so she has to figure out her way out of that. And so there's only so much you can do before you start getting really creative about this. Um, Because in like the train to Busan scenario, you just be dead immediately. Um, And so it's, it's Mm -hmm. a bunch of like very, very sort of thought out problem solving. So Oculus, the, the story is that there's this mirror and um, the mirror, like, it's super vague. It leads to, to ruinous circumstances or ends and consequences for people from the 1700s on. And nobody understands why. Uh, nobody understands how to break it. Nobody understands how to uh, do it. It just keeps getting passed around and passed around. And whoever gets it, um, something really bad happens to their family or to them. So the this one, this, this sort of the the most sort of contemporary example is there's a family, and the mirror was hung up in the dad's office. The dad starts to go really crazy. The kids see a, a woman in the office frequently. Uh, the woman turns out to be some kind of ghost apparition. Who knows? Um, the mother subsequently gets like very sort of jealous. Uh, he becomes very protective, says, doesn't, don't go in the room. She goes into the room. She looks in the mirror. Uh, he finds out. He chains her up. This is, by the way, Katie Sackhoff of Battlestar Galactica fame. It was very cool yeah. to see her, but also very weird to see her as a redhead. Um, so she gets tied up, tortured. Um, the father uh, is like really shitty to the kids. The kids realize they like try to 
break the mirror they realize that as they're breaking it they're actually what they they think they're breaking it they're actually smashing just off the side of the mirror um and so the the movie presents us this like a baffling problem like this mirror that you can't because it controls the reality that you experience you can't break it and you don't you don't ever know what's actually happening or, or, or to you or who's wronging you or um, if somebody is a, a, a is a danger to you. And so it gets you to do things against your will. And but, you know, it's getting you to do things against your will, but you don't know what to do to be for your because you don't understand how your will works. And so it complicates your free will. And so yeah, that's fascinating. That's and cool. So the, but the movie is Karen Gillan of Nebula fame of Jumanji fame. This is one of her first big roles. Is that she she decides that she is fig- she's going to figure the fucking thing out, and so she puts multiple cameras, and the cameras have multiple battery sources. Um, she has a alarm to snap her out of uh, any kind of lull every hour or so. Um, she has this, uh, this like crane thing that's uh, a hook, a swinging hook that is angled on the mirror that comes down every 25 minutes. She has plants all around the house because she realized that the plants um, died. And so she has them spread out such that she can figure out the radius. She does not oh. use her phone um, because when they were kids and they called, uh, they they would call for help to different like to CPS or the police, and it would always be the same voice telling them to put their father on the phone, and so they don't use phones, Ugh. they don't trust anything. Um, she makes a fatal error in uh, making her fiance call her every hour to make sure she's still alive, uh, which is a mistake because it, that ends up becoming a twist. Uh, and kind of a gap that I th- I think they they leave unexplored. I think that is a hole because uh, she wouldn't have made that kind of mistake. Um, mm. So uh, then she also has because it is able to control all of the light sources and the electricity, um, battery powered lights all around the house, so that when the electricity goes down, she turns that on. And so she is sort of like doing this high level problem solving for this mirror. Um, and the way that the mirror eventually outsmarts her is incredible because you know that crane is going to kill somebody in the film. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and the person ends up killing is her, and the person who kills her is her brother. The entire time, she's trying to convince him that the mirror is real. When she finally does convince him that the mirror is real, he fucking kills her. Uh. So the mirror is like, <laughs> the mirror gets, like, so he finally realizes that it has a real effect. And he's like, I got it. She's right. I'm going to fucking destroy this thing. And the the fucking hook go into her neck and her head explodes. <laughs> oh, gross. It fucking ruled. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. And now I see, because I knew the joke, and I knew, like, oh, Oculus evil mirror, and I didn't realize the extent to, of the mirror's powers, but it makes perfect sense of, like, it would make you paranoid and turn you into a bad guy, um, and have it show up and make bad guys out of wrestlers. Yeah, I, that's for whatever reason, I love it when 
Yeah, I love it when people try to solve unsolvable problems <laughs> because, like, mm-hmm. that is because she she I, she did everything right to to my mind, and I was like, oh, how's this gonna work? And it just doesn't work because um, <laughs> she just gets wrecked. Fucking mag- <laughs> magic mirror. Um, so then, last thing, and this is the <laughs> a, a very weird thing, is uh, COVID is generally just a weird terrible thing um speaking of doing high level problem solving to try to beat an evil force that just keeps wrecking you anyway (laughs) yeah it's a good segue yeah so i uh we've talked about this in the past i i am a season ticket holder for an nba team of uh Mm -hmm. undefined origins um (laughs) yeah in some metropolitan city because that's normally where nba teams are but there are many of them so we'll not go any farther than that yeah i mean that what does that cut out memphis no that's metropolitan maybe utah um yeah it's not the jazz (laughs) okay uh so yeah so the the nba is coming back december 22nd and um as part of that we're still trying to figure out what to do about in-person attendance. They were, they pioneered the bubble, which was a concept that worked for the NBA and it worked for the NHL. Um, and it was uh, very expensive and very difficult to coordinate. And by, but by all accounts, like very, very successful. There were some rarefied kind of, um, uh, conditions that allowed the bubble to be successful and allowed it to to exist in the first place, which is the NBA season was like two thirds of the way done. So they didn't have that much left to do. That was, that was one thing. The other thing is that they didn't invite all of the teams to the bubble because that would have been sort of um, prohibitively expensive and also kind of like a waste of time. But if you're going to start the season anew and you're going to start from game one with all 30 teams, you got to figure out something else. So what Mm -hmm. they have sort of decided to do, well, they haven't decided anything really. They just decided that they're going to start. They lifted the sort of trade blockade. So people, the teams can start making trades today, uh, which is Monday. We're recording this way early. Um, And so by the time this comes out, maybe they'll have decided. Um, (laughs) but they're going to let teams play in their stadiums. They might start redistricting some of the divisions um, so that people can stay in one stadium or teams can stay in one stadium or just in one place to cut down on the travel time. Because when you, that's a great idea. Like that's what we were talking about with the NFL is just like redo all the divisions and have, you know, a couple of cities nearby each other just play each other. Yeah, because like the NFC East is Dallas, DC, New York, and Philly, which the, the New York, Philly, and DC make sense. But Dallas? Yeah, just do New York, Philly, DC, Baltimore yeah. as a division. Yeah, like fuck all these conferences, all these divisions, they don't mean anything anyway. Um, like, so that's that. That's one part of it, uh, or one one suggestion but the other thing is fans in the stands so the nba has sort of left it up to the discretion of 
of teams and stuff like that. And well, not to hate that shit. I don't think it's to their discretion yet. They're still collecting information. Um, This is part of the story that I'm about to tell. So um, I sort of receive a survey um, by the uh, distributed by the NBA sent from my uh, season ticket holder rep who has been great and is also like, you know, <laughs> has a very struggling, it's a thankless job, truly. Cause it's like every, any time that you ask these folks, like what's going on, they know as about as much as you do. So it, it's, it's very <laughs> difficult to be like in the hospitality industry and be like, Oh, season ticket holders. Yeah. We value you. And if any question comes to them, they, they can't answer it. So, Mm-hmm. You know, I I, 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 I I took the survey and then I, I reached out and I was like, you know, what what are you doing? What are you all doing about uh, do, do you have any clarity about the season? Just asking out of curiosity, not really. Uh, you know, I'm still paying my season ticket thing at this point, which is a very, very low sum. <laughs> it's like. I don't know, two Netflix subscriptions because they've spread it out over so many months where it's like, we we don't know when we're coming back. Uh, right. And also the team that I like is very bad. Is that a clue? So <laughs> the uh, so then he sets up a call with me and then he calls me and he's like, well, the NBA is doing all of this stuff and so I just want to sort of talk through this um, because we're trying to figure out the best way to come, to come back and, and what people would feel comfortable with. Um, because the, the survey asked a bunch of like vague ass questions about what, what, how, you know, what makes you comfortable in COVID and what, you know, have you, have you gotten, have you gotten a COVID test? And when you go to the grocery store, what do you like? Like they're trying to figure it out obliquely, (laughs) which is, I guess, a way of going about it. Um, but so then he's telling me some of the things they're thinking about and like the, the sort of super max idea, um, is that, people um because in our sort of local area you can get tested at a at a sort of a central location there's like a testing sort of facility so and most cities like they have like a convention center or a hospital or some place where they have set up sort of like a a covid a covid testing site which is more like a facility it's like a factory <laughs> um and i've gone to these a few times and so Part of it is um, getting tested within sort of like the incubatory period, which is like five days-ish, um, but out of sort of an overabundance of caution, it'd be like a week to two weeks out, you would get tested by yourself, get the results, have the results handy, send them over to uh, you know whatever rep is handling your shit. Then you would go on, on the day of, of the game or games because they might just do a bunch of back-to-backs in the same place uh you would Mm -hmm. show up like three hours early and they would give you a rapid test and they would uh take your temperature with one of those guns that immediate that Mm -hmm. spits out your temperature immediately so if you're running a fever over a hundred or obviously test negative then that's the first opportunity you have to (laughs) get sent away in the case you pass these three obstacles 
Um, the next thing is let you into the arena, uh, sort of one by one, because um, you're there not only early to get tested, you're also there early so that you can, you know, go up the escalator, socially distanced, and we're going up the elevator, Jeez. socially distanced, all this shit. Get to your seat, socially distanced. An obstacle, of course. <laughs> right. Um, then in the Supermax scenario, there would be no food or concessions at the arenas. Um, in those, in that scenario, they would have you seated sort of, um, either by yourself or with somebody you live with, uh, in my case it would be our sort mm -hmm. of two seats and then it would be cordoned off so that, uh, you know, it would be a significant amount of distance between any cluster of seats. People would have to wear masks constantly. There would be, uh, surveillance to ensure that people are abiding by the rules at all time. Uh, there's like a zero tolerance policy for people. If you take off your mask, if you, uh, infract on the, on, on infract, infract. Uh, if you, if you fuck up the policy in any way, you're, you're immediately identified, quarantined, escorted out of the building. Um, and if you fail any mm -hmm. of the steps on the way, you're also, uh, thrown out of the building. And so in that Badass. <laughs> right. So in that scenario, which who knows how much money that would cost, uh, not just them, but also me, um, right. you would it would be like uh, how much how many hours of labor the, to, to, to get a test, even with an appointment is like a two hour wait. Added on to yeah. uh, the travel time, added on to the three hours ahead of time. Added on to the game, added on to exiting, which I'm during which you cannot eat, right, <laughs> or piss, um, and then leaving and then traveling back home. That's like a full fucking day. And so, you know, it was not not told to me in any kind of like, this is definitely what we're doing. It was like, uh, this is what we're thinking. What do you think? And I'm like, I I think I would feel safe, but I would never do that. I would never because <laughs> it's just too much hassle. It's it. And it's like, I'm not, I could watch the games at home. Like the games are on television. Well, that's the thing is like, this is, yeah, this is a good, this is a pretty good system. But the goal of that system is I get to sit in an uncomfortable ass seat in a stadium to watch a basketball game that I could watch from my couch. Right. Like the whole point that, I mean, <laughs> the, it, and so it is, a, as one of our friends in the chat where I was sort of describing this, called it a catch-22. It is a catch-22 because the barriers to entry are too much. If there were fewer barriers to entry, I would go, or I would, I would, I would be more willing to go. However, if there were fewer barriers to entry, I wouldn't feel safe to go. So it's really damned if you do, right. damned if you don't. I'm not going to go unless you have all of that shit. And then it was also talking about like hand sanitizer stations, like, you know, masks, like all kinds of shit, um, which would make it like very, very safe, I think. But and that catch me too is hilarious because like the only way I feel safe enough to go is if you do enough things where I don't feel like it's worth me going. And the only way it's worth I feel like it's worth me going is if it's no longer safe enough for me to feel like it's safe to go. Right. <laughs> I'm just not going. Because the point is like, oh, you, you, you came to a game with us. The point is it's like fucking a bunch of uh, crazy lunatics and the top and the 400 level just screaming. Like, that's why it's fun. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not fun because I'm just sitting there sort of meekly watching the game. Cause in that case, I'm just yeah, staying absolutely. home. 
Yeah, the whole point was to go and there's a crowded bunch of people and there's the, the cheering and the screaming and the energy of the people in the room. And it's the same reason you go to live sporting with an audience. And without the audience, like, there's a camaraderie there. Like, you just, like, randomly make friends with people because you both hate the other team. And that's that's the human experience that matters. And that shit ain't safe. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah, it's super unsafe. And not to mention that they're they're figuring this out or they're trying to figure this out during a period in which cases spiked up to 180,000. Uh, was their yeah. highest spike at the time of recording probably going to be higher by the time you listen to this um, yeah so it's just <sighs> yeah despite the fact that we have never really recovered from a first surge and we were talking last week about surges versus spikes and like well it's just been bad the whole time it's actually going to be a spike like it's going to get worse I mean it's even though it never got better <laughs> so bad because in March, and this is something that has continually baffled me, probably said it last week, I'm saying it again because it's just so confounding, is that you would think that in March when this shit started and there were 30,000 cases and you're like, Jesus Christ, everybody was so anxious. And rightfully so, mm-hmm. like anxious in a way that was like protective. Now that there are six times that many cases, it seems like people are trying to figure out ways to not, (laughs) like, be safe. Yeah, to not be anxious, to normalize it. It's really bizarre of this, like, well, we're just going to live with it. And it's it's funny because it's this idea of, you know, with our most recent election, there was, you know, the anti-maskers and the it's a hoax and, you know, we want our freedom and we're all just going to die. And then there was this case of, oh, but the the good guys believe in science and we believe in masks. And it's this, we'll listen to the science up until the point that it inconveniences us or that causes us to actually make drastic changes to our lives. And then we'll be like, eh, that's too hard. I don't want to do any of that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, is very, it, it is very funny to see, uh, because at also at this point, hopefully on Friday, maybe some, this has been settled, but also at this point, there's not been any kind of like resolution. Well, there's a resolution to the election. Joe Biden won the election. However, there's not been a concession. Um, right. And so. Uh, and this past weekend, a bunch of MAGA folks came to D.C. and started trouble. And yeah there just hasn't maybe by the time you hear this there will have been some kind of final resolution on this but it seems unlikely yes and um so what what has ended up happening is that and this is you know uh, interesting as a spectator kind of weird and a little scary as somebody who is a trying to be a functioning member of society um Mm -hmm. trump's like his mouthpiece and fox news has 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 kind of increasingly um, moved away from the hoax conspiracy stuff as being a, l- a yeah. little too radical for, <laughs> for the network. Like they're, they're, yeah. they're okay lying about a, a bunch of shit or allowing lies to happen. And um, I heard that there was uh, a, a defamation case or like in one of the defenses against COVID uh, when 
people sued because Fox News was 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 broadcasting the president's claims and 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 also in opinion pieces sort of defending the president's claims about this just being like the flu and all this nonsense. Um, that Fox News, one of their, uh, this was a law student who, who was just researching for a class, was telling me that um, one of their defenses was essentially like nobody would, we're Fox News, people understand what we are, nobody takes us seriously as scientists. Yes, yeah, I heard about that. It's like we're entertainment. No reasonable person would consider us like actual news, right? Which is <laughs> terrifying, right? But that's also really yeah. what they think. But and even even mm-hmm. still, even still, they're like, we can't keep doing this fake election shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, right. That's too crazy. So Trump has been tweeting out like Newsmax and like these other sort and Breitbart and all these like sort of um, absolutely disreputable uh, news question mark. Uh, like propaganda machines like who knows what the fuck they even are mm-hmm. but like people who are willing to publish that yes there's there's evidence of widespread voter uh allegations they have uh a uh, a youtuber i follow like, whose name i don't actually know it was just weird because i watch his videos all the time um what was uh sort of was piecing together clips of like mounds of paper <laughs> And the the, <laughs> cool. the way that uh, the White House press secretary and other folks have been going on news channels and just holding up stacks of paper um, because it's like that can be evidence. First of all, who knows what's printed on those papers? But also it's like mm-hmm. I can like I can sue you right now and get a bunch of papers. It can be a frivolous lawsuit. It could be immediately yep. thrown out, but I'll still have all those papers. <laughs> Like subpoenas mm-hmm. and shit and, 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 and complaints and all of this shit that, that, that was filed and they're taking it all, all these news sites and being like, look, and, but that is very convincing. They're like, well, they got papers, <laughs> they have a bunch of papers. Yeah. <laughs> Must somebody did a bunch of paperwork. Like, yeah, but it's all paperwork that says this is bullshit. Right. <laughs> it's your receipt for wasting my time. And the, the uh, other thing that Trump is going absolutely ballistic about, and this is, the nature of a presidency and, and people argue about this shit all the time is he's really trying to secure his, his victory over COVID-19 um, by saying that he mm-hmm. tweeted out that um, today there were, uh, there was news of the vaccine developed by a company called Moderna that had a 95% success rate, which is great. Yeah. And he was tweeting something. He's tweeted something like, when people write the history of this, remember that this happened under my watch, which, oh, which geez. is to say that scientists figured this out, and it happened to correspond with a moment in which you were physically at the White House. <laughs> right. Yeah. You happened to be sitting in the chair, maybe, or maybe golfing nearby when scientists had to spend an entire year stopping everything else they were doing that could have been important to rush to find a cure for a disease that you didn't stop the spread of. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> and history um, will say interestingly, that. Interestingly, the history will say that. Interestingly, was a pandemic response guy, an epidemiologist who um, is on Biden's transition team, who talked about, hey, look, we've got a vaccine coming soon-ish, we have to, the best thing to do would be lock everybody down right now because now that we have a vaccine on the horizon, anybody who dies between now and then is like 
especially it's it's like especially sad because they those you know at first it was it couldn't be prevented because we don't have a cure now it's we have a thing we could do to help eventually now we just have to like wait for it to happen and then the stock market went down because he mentioned lockdown and then biden's chief of staff came on and was like no no no, we're not going to do a whole lockdown we would never do that that's ridiculous We'll just tell people to wear masks. And what recurred to me is that this is exactly the way we deal with global warming, too, which is to force the all of the responsibility onto the individual of you have to recycle and you have to stop using plastic straws and you have to lower your individual carbon footprint as a human, and then we'll still let corporations do whatever the fuck they want. And it's the same deal of, like, you need to wear a mask and you need to stay six feet away and you need to wash your hands, which you do. All of those things are things that you need to be doing. But we won't, like, take any large, wide steps as a society to let people work from home or give them UBI to, like, survive until then. Yeah, it's terrible. And uh, they're – yeah, the, the the transition – and also because of the fact that the transition is not – I mean, <laughs> not guaranteed. It's not happening yeah, right now. It's not happening. <laughs> yeah, right. Not guaranteed, which is weird to say. Is is also uh, Fauci came out and was like, you know, that's a public health hazard. The fact that you're not allowing the new the yeah. new president's office to look at the uh, classified COVID information is like is 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 terrible uh, because I think he said like. Uh, COVID doesn't respect your timeout or whatever if you call timeout. <laughs> um, so that's also very bad. So, yeah, it's just going to get bad. It's going to get worse. And, like, when, when are we going to – regular-ass people going to have access to the vaccine is, is anybody's guess. Yeah, how much is it going to cost? Yeah, when nobody knows. That's just all up in the air, and it sucks. So, um, oh, one last thing uh, before we sign off here, because you mentioned Katie Sackhoff with red hair, which is a good transition of itself. Um, did you watch this most recent episode of The Mandalorian? I didn't, no, because we're recording on Monday, and it came out on Friday, and this weekend uh, we ended up watching a bunch of other shit. You know what it's not okay. doing? Well, well, we'll hold off till next. I was going to say, it's not sparking a ton of uh, anticipation <laughs> by me. That's fair. Yeah, I actually thought this with this episode... Well, well, we'll we'll talk about it once you've seen it, but I really liked it, and what I will say is everything, almost everything we talked about last week of our predictions for thematically the things that the Mandalor that Mando's have to gonna have to wrestle with in his theory about what it means to be a Mandalorian, we actually got a lot of that in this episode. Like we were very close to right, which I was very surprised. By. Huh. So well, now um, I have to watch it. Yeah. So <laughs> Yeah, you should watch it. We'll talk about because it's like I, I was watching, going, "Oh, we actually kind of nailed this." <laughs> oh, that's actually yeah, that's actually cool. Yeah, I'll watch it tonight, and we'll we'll talk about it. The, so his dark materials has already come out. It's already old news by the time you're listening to this, but we're very excited. Uh, we're trying to figure out what our daemons are. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was having this conversation with uh, with Mall this past week because we just finished rewatching season one be like mine would be like some kind of small black bear or you know an armadillo or something round probably <laughs> i don't know i i uh i decided mine would be a quokka which is oh those are wonderful yes they're, they're very happy 
like sort of look like wombats. Yeah, because my whole thing about the daemon, especially like Lyra's, is that it has to balance your energy. And I think that as somebody who is like, uh, has been described as like incredibly unapproachable, and I'm always like pissed, <laughs> I think that a, a Quoka would be the perfect companion. It would be always like trying to make me see the bright side of shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome i like that as a balance yeah because sure. isn't that kind of well not in all cases like the the mean lady has the mean monkey um yeah and like all of the soldiers have like the snipers have hawks and the soldiers have like german shepherds so there's a lot of like reinforcement also of it just kind of doubles up on your most explicit characteristics but lyra's is just like a total buzzkill He's always like, hey, stop it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's constantly like, let's do a really inadvisable and scary thing. And he's like, maybe we should not do that. <laughs> he's always terror. He's always scared. <laughs> I fucking love that show. Uh, all right. That'll do it for this episode of Is Just Bad. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Is Just Bad. Email us at Is Just Bad at gmail.com. Follow the cosmologist on Instagram at Sergeant Bucky Bear. It's S G T Bucky Bear. And follow them all on Instagram at Mad Mall Cosplay. We'll see you in the next one. Bye. Is this just bad? Bad? It's like what pirates board your brain, robbing knowledge, no joking. Opening your mind with a crowbar till you're woken, hitting Hydra, hailing hairs, have a time for hella reasons. We're more than winter soldiers, with the men for all seasons. Listen closely while we share our expertise in cosmic comics culture. Dean is free tuition to the multiversity. Mouse is like we're teaching perfect balance when we snap infinite gems into your ears. Dust our shoulders when we speak. Purple men persuasive feet. Or Randy Savage rattles with immortal technique. Ooh. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.